Bulimia sucks, but you don't, and here's why. The Bulimia Sucks podcast with Kate Hudson Hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of thoughts, feelings, triggers, and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely. You will hear proven strategies and solutions to help you in your recovery, including real interviews with real people. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Check it out now on Amazon. And now... Another episode of Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Bulimia Sucks. I'm your host, Kate Hudson-Hall, and thank you so much for listening. Now, this is a platform for people to share relatable and uplifting and inspiring conversations based on an eating disorder. And episodes include talking with professionals who who work with people with an eating disorder and also who may have had their own struggles with an eating disorder. And then we also talk to people that are actually going through the recovery journey and we talk about their different steps steps that they're struggling with at the time and, and how they can move forward. So thank you so much for joining us. Now, as a therapist, I have created a free Bulimia Sucks course to help you to get started on your recovery pathway. So if you're interested in that, if you go to my website, katehudson-hall.com, and on the homepage, there's a sign-up form there. And I have also written a book on Helping People with Anxiety, which is very exciting for me. And it has many different tools and techniques and tips in there to help to begin to reduce your anxiety and make you feel calmer and help you and guide you to use these tools to be able to reduce that that difficult, those difficult, struggling, anxious feelings. And so at the moment, it's with the editor. So I'm waiting for it to come back from the editor, which may be a challenge for me. <laughs> and I am thinking about calling this Anxiety Hacks. It's not set in stone, but I think that's the direction we're going in. So it's all very exciting. Now, I am also very excited about our guest today. Now, our guest has been on the podcast before. And she joined us in episode 84. And this is Joelle Rabot Maletis. And so I'm very excited to have her join us. Now, Joelle is a well known psychotherapist, military psychology, and PSD expert. And she has personal experience, expertise, and knowledge about eating disorders, as well as many clients who struggle with it every day. Through her own life challenges, retiring as a professional dancer, Joelle has learned to survive struggles, overcome adversities and trauma and build self-reflection tools that she teaches today. Joelle joined the podcast previously, like I said, in episode 84, so you must go check that out. And here she is, which is very exciting to join us again to discuss further positive help for people with an eating disorder. 
So Joelle, thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks, Kate, for having me. It's always a pleasure. I'm excited to be here. We had so much to talk about last time, so. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So that, hence why we decided to continue. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's great to have you on us. And how have you been, Joelle? Thanks. Um, I have been okay. I think I was sharing with you earlier. I have my my foot in a in a boot, so that's been exciting. Um, <laughs> but other, otherwise, you know, I I'm I'm chugging along just like probably everybody else. <laughs> Thanks yeah, for asking. So that's a, that's been a challenge for you, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 A, a humbling one, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were talking about um, discussing the uh, connection between eating disorders and trauma that people have. Yeah. Because, so, well, so for yourself, Joelle, so do you, can you relate to that? Yeah, I, I absolutely can relate to that. And I, I think when we look at trauma, we're looking at um, what traditionally were thought of as big T traumas, which was this one um, very big thing that happened, you know, to somebody um, and, and horrifically. So versus what we would call little T traumas, or I'd like to think of it as like a, a million cuts, right? Death by a million cuts. And so these little things that we don't necessarily think of as being traumatic, but they all stack up and they're, they become equally as painful. Um, I don't know if I, I, I don't necessarily think of trauma that way anymore. I think if it's traumatic, it's traumatic. Um, but this un, the, the unseen, unnoticed, unaware of the traumatic things that happen to us that that, you know, death by li these little cuts um, mm -hmm. versus the big T traumas that had happened, I think, constantly affected me and it and it affected the way that I saw my body, I saw my relationship with food, how I used food to either deal or not deal. Um, and and so much of it was once I started to understand the trauma behind it, it started to help me move forward with the eating behaviors that just weren't working for me anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really good, um, that's an important point, you know, because when people think of, think of trauma, they think of some huge big event that has happened in their life. And yes, it could be, that could be, you know, a huge connection. But also, like you say, it could be a lot of small, different experiences that you at that time had a, you know, had a real struggle with. And then they build up and build up one on top of the other. Right. And we don't necessarily even think about it as being traumatic. A lot of times clients will come in and they'll say, you know, I had a, um, a very harsh parent, right? Or I had a parent that was emotionally unavailable and very critical. And so, you know, these years of messaging um, and, and criticism, right, becomes this very painful narrative that, that isn't even conscious sometimes, right? And we don't log that as, oh, that was traumatic. Um, but it absolutely can be, and for most people it is traumatic, and then our body holds on to that. And so we're coping with um, 
something that we're really not even subconsciously aware of, right? It's just logged in our body. It's logged in our memory. And so anytime we feel somebody is being critical or we tend to become overcritical of ourselves and we then cope and, and we don't always cope well, right? So it, it's that kind of a situation where people typically aren't aware of the those little things that build up and all they know is I'm not doing well, right? Or I'm not coping well. And, and the eating disorder and the eating disorder behavior starts to mask, right? What, what's really going on internally. Yes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think for myself, I, I was um, sexually abused when I was nine. So that, that um, even though I'd buried that and I hadn't, uh, talked about that until I was in my 30s but that would be a contributing factor for my eating disorder and then there was a lot of little events that happened when I was 16 so my mother got remarried she sold the family home she um I left boarding school I went to live in central London on my own I didn't know anyone and start working and so all of those contributed because it was such a traumatic year that year and they all kind of build up built built up and built up on top of each other and so when, you know, when I was 18, that's when my eating disorder developed. So it's kind of a, 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 an example of those, those smaller, um, but they were more conscious, but you were talking about more unconscious, weren't you? Smaller things, that, even smaller than that. I, yeah, and I think maybe, right? I think if somebody had asked you when you were 18, right, you know, um, have you experienced anything traumatic? You might have at the time said no. You know, like these things are happening in my life, but I don't know if, if you know, we would have put a, a trauma label on that, right? I think now, yeah. we're we, at, the more we understand trauma, we're starting to to see that. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, this thing happened, and it may not be you know dramatically traumatic, right? Um, but it there's something there, there's something there that's so painful that we log, and then we're coping with not wanting to feel the pain. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I think for, for me at that time, when I was 16, what was really interesting was that I had croup that summer, quite badly. And I had it when I was younger as well, but I hadn't had it since I was maybe seven or eight, but I actually got it that, that one year. And that was the last time I had it. But that was also, I think, a way for my body trying to, you know, to be able to deal with the situation of all these small, different little changes that was happening. But it was quite a, it was quite a, an unconscious insight into my body's way of saying, you know, hang on a minute, stop here. What, what What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think for me, a, a lot of it was um, it was so interconnected between being a dancer, not knowing, you know, not feeling like I fit in any way. My body type wasn't what um, my coaches or, you know, the ballet you know, mistress wanted. I was never going to be six feet tall. Like it, there was so much that I was fighting against. Um, and and just the emotional abuse around being in ballet class and and being trained imagine. you know trained to do what i was supposed to be doing and and being good enough at it but not being the star like i didn't ever that was not my career i, I wasn't the prima ballerina i wasn't the star i wasn't going to be and 
And so there was that grind and I always felt like I just, I was never good enough. And so much of that centered around the perfection and then, you know, the messaging I was getting, you know, um, from my friends and family about being perfect or, or what I thought I needed to be perfect, right? And being a straight A student, there, there was just so much of it all the time in every area of my life um, that the eating for me became a way of, of having complete control and reliability. And I know that that, that, that sounds counterintuitive, right? But it was like the one thing I could rely on was my ability to control right um how that that maladapted behavior showed up and and it became familiar and it became reliable and so it was one thing in my life from a very young age all the way through adulthood where it was like okay this is reliable i can always count on this doing exactly what i need it to do knowing that that wasn't that was not a good coping strategy or healthy. And so it was this weird relationship with, I don't know if I can rely on anybody. I don't feel like I can rely on myself, right? But I certainly can rely on these behaviors that at least make me check out. They make me feel numb. And feeling numb is way better for me than feeling pain. And so I kept leaning into that to avoid having to deal or, or feel the pain. They oh, um, relate to this. Yeah. You know, and for me, it was my way of being able to control um, what was happening in my life at that particular time as well. But it also escaping from all of those difficult feelings and be able to detach from them. Yeah. And and I, I think as as it built up and, and I hear my clients say this a lot, too. Right. As it built up and the longer it went on, the bigger it was. And. You know, had I just leaned into it and I, I if I had some emotional, you know, um, intelligence, right, that EQ um, th- therapy much earlier on, earlier on um, maybe if I had leaned into the pain, it wouldn't have been so big. By the time I finally dealt with it, it, it was so overwhelming and scary. Um, it's incredible you know, what the imagination can do. Yeah. How you can build that up to such a huge... <clears throat> explosion yeah well that's what you're frightened that it might do yeah and then and so then it's like well i i don't want to feel it at all and now i it's going to overtake me and you know it's so scary that i you know i don't know and it's not these are not rational thoughts right it's like i don't know what's going to happen if if this pain if i feel it overtakes me you know then what right dot 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 like do i do i never get out of bed do i perish do i like what actually happens and it's so scary yeah Um, and it's your it's you know for me it was my and my you know some of my clients it was their it's their way of of their unconscious way of trying to protect themselves and keep them safe right you know you know rationally that makes no sense whatsoever but to that part of their mind that is what what it's trying to do yeah you know i'm not a big fan of the word crazy um and having said that a lot of times i ask myself or i'll ask my clients do you feel crazy do you feel because it's a really good indication of yeah i i i feel like that and it's like okay there's something behind that right and sometimes that's trauma sometimes it's 
as trying to escape the the negative emotions we don't want to deal with right sometimes it's how the body manifests and and sometimes it's everything happening at once right but but understanding that gauge of okay when i'm feeling a certain way that's probably a really good indication that there's something else going on for me you know yeah i remember for me i just remember this so clearly that i had no understanding whatsoever of my behaviors of what i was doing yeah. and i truly believed i was going mad yeah, because the same is crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's the same, you know, just that feeling of I have, like, I have total control, and I'm thriving on that being my coping mechanism. And yet I feel so out of control, right? Everything, every, everything feels out of that black and white thinking, right? Everything feels out of control. And so how do I just try and get some anything back, right? Yeah, um, yeah and it, it was it it took many many years i think finding the right therapist I, I had some pretty crummy ones um and really starting to understand the somatic component of how my body was holding on to all of the trauma right and and all uh, because of because we don't step back and ever ever <laughs> consider our body we just think it's right. in, in our head and how the two are connected <laughs> right you know, and so it's like, oh, I had stomach aches as a kid. Um, you know, it's like, okay, well, maybe that's, that's, you know, food related, um, eating disorders definitely were not talked about at that time. Um, part of that's my age, part of that is, is where I grew up, you know, um, and, and then also being in the ballet world. Um, but I had chronic stomach problems as a, a very young teenager. Um, that were there one day and my parents took me to every doctor and and they ran every test and then after about a year and a half they were gone and and it was now i understand i'm like ah okay i get what was going on right yeah. um where my body was just starting to rebel against all of the stuff right that i was dealing with and and um none of my behavior changed right my you know, activities, my schoolwork, you know, I wasn't failing in life. Um, but I was absolutely failing as as far as understanding um, how to cope in a healthy way. And so my body was just rebelling, you know, and so that that really started this, this body betrayal for me and this love hate with, you know, I, I love my body because it can do this amazing thing and I can dance. And at the same time, I hate it so much and, and bouncing back and forth between um, the shame and the guilt and the betrayal. And, and really it took me, like I said, until I was, you know, way out of, out of my ballet career, a good therapist going to psych school. Like it, it took a lot of things for me to finally go, ah, okay, that's what that was. Yeah, um, yeah. you know yeah well that 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 uh that summer when I was 16 and I had croup that was my body's way of of calling for help unbeknown to me and saying well, I don't know what specifically it would have been saying to me but if I'd have tuned in at the time I would have been able to understand <laughs> it was saying hang on slow down this is too much it's too much. Exactly. It exactly. It's too it's too much. It's too much pressure. It's too much pain. It's it's too much whatever. Um uh, you know, yeah. And and you know, and it's 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 
not funny haha, but funny ironic to me that when we talk about it, this these kinds of things, it's like, oh, well, it's just so easy. <laughs> just figure out what your unseen, you know, or your, your unconscious traumas are, and then you'll, you know, magically do some skills and you'll, and it is, it, it's so hard. It, it, it's simple concepts when we break it down and we're like, oh, okay, it makes sense logically, right? But it's not logical. It's not rational. And it is so hard to, to work on. It takes time and it and takes. it's taking those small little steps and beginning to uncover yeah. And, and peel back each, you know, whatever you can deal with, but each little emotion that's yeah. connected to maybe a past experience and then working with that, working through that. Yeah, and, it, and it's so poisonous. And, you know, where after a while we use the same coping mechanism to not feel pain, to not feel joy or love or be able to receive love, right? Because all of the feelings become too scary, you know, even the good ones. You yeah. know, it's so much easier to be numb and disassociated and checked out um, and not deal than it is to actually feel the good, the good too, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. But for so many people, that's, <clears throat> that's what, you know, how they, how they deal with it. Right. And so when your client, um, you know, say, say you're with a client that has had um, maybe a, a buildup of different traumatic experiences, um, how, how would you, Joelle, take, take them forward? So, yeah, it's a great question. I, I think it's, it's, you know, I start with being um, trauma-informed, which is understanding trauma, being trained in trauma, and knowing where the client is at and where they want to start. It's not about what I, I think they sh you know, should or shouldn't do. Um, and, and then being client-centered. And, and what I mean by client-centered is there are so many theories out there. Um, it's kind of picking a place to start and asking the client if they feel safe with that. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's asking them where they feel comfortable to start, isn't it? Right. And so sometimes people will come in and they'll tell me all about their childhood and their anxieties and um, a lot of little T trauma, If just, just to couch it in that for this conversation. Um, they start there and it could take them six months before they finally are willing to share that there's something about their eating or their coping. Um, and so it's really just meeting meeting clients where they're at. I like to start with skills first. I always feel like um, if I can help people have a little bit of success with feeling like, hey, I'm managing my anxiety a little bit better or I'm setting better boundaries, I'm able to have that really difficult conversation in my relationship where they have some wins, it starts to build that that foundation. And then it's like, okay, can we go a little bit deeper? Can we go a little bit deeper? So I typically start start there and work myself with the client backwards as long as they're willing to that feels comfortable or safe to them. Um, you know, traditionally I, I, with my training, you know, I was trained as, well, you, you start asking, what was your childhood like? What was your family like? Tell me about your mother. <laughs> you know, that just tells you how long ago, right? Yeah. Like, right. Um, and, and that's actually not where I start. I typically start with, 
what do you want to talk about today? Where What's getting in your way? Let's start there. And how do we work with it first? And then we, we start to uncover the why. And it just feels like that's safer for people. And I find they stay in therapy um, longer if they're willing to become more vulnerable because it is a, it's a relationship, right? And yeah. if they don't trust me, it doesn't matter how great I, I think I am. If, you know, if they don't trust me and we don't have a good rapport, they need to go to, they need to go to somebody else. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, so, um, and then what would happen? So then you would, um, then you would have them sort of gradually begin to peel back that 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 onion and those layers. Yeah, and some clients come in. Um, t- typically, clients that that are coming in to do trauma work with me um, have been in therapy before, and they've either stalled out with the therapist. Um, the for whatever reason, right? Um, they've moved. They're they're ready to do deeper work. So um, I'm usually not clients first therapists so clients come in and they yeah, say I find I that as well. they've normally been through yeah you know, <clears throat> you know other therapies different right. therapies and experimented yeah yeah I think some of that is is you know that we both just being subject matter experts right they're they're ready to do deeper work and so I think sometimes clients will say I want to come in and talk about this thing that happened and then I have their permission okay how fast do you want to go? I I don't want to push the therapy too far. Uncomfortable, I'm okay with, but somebody having an anxiety attack for a few days after they've come to therapy, I've pushed too hard, right? And so I start with like, okay, let's just gauge, you know, uncomfortable, good. You know, therapy is not fun. It just isn't. Um, so, you know, uncomfortable, uncovering, good. Anxiety, you know, after therapy for for several days not good so we we, i try and build that container of okay what what feels right and then um you know what it what worked for you in therapy before um what didn't work for you what did you like what did you not like i don't want to do something if someone comes in and says please do not give me homework the last thing i want to do is assign homework even though i I like i like homework (laughs) (laughs) so do i yeah yeah um so, you know, part of it is those first, I always, you know, say to new clients, like, give it three or four sessions. Like the first three or four sessions is we we getting to know each other and you deciding if you feel like you can trust me and then we can go deeper. Um, but it's listening. It's really listening to what the client is saying and then saying, ah, okay, I heard this thing. You you know, you Joel, you said this thing about, you know, having severe, you know, GI issues when you were, you know, 12 and 13. I'm wondering what you were feeling at the time. Right? And and so then it's like, ah, I've got an in there. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like, well, I actually, to be honest with you, this is a true statement, don't know what I was feeling. I felt pressured. I was unhappy. Um, I was going through puberty. I like, I have no, I have no idea when I reflect back what I felt. It's like, oh, okay, let's talk about the pressure. Where did that come from? Right? So it's just, it's really listening as the therapist and then going, ah, okay, let me be curious about this, not judging, just that's curious to me. Let's talk about that and see what we can come uncover. And then teaching the client to be curious instead of sitting in judgment of themselves. 
right? Which yes. is the hardest thing. Yes. Oh, I'm this. Oh, I'm that. Oh, I can't. Oh, I. It's like, take a breath. How how can we externalize that? Where, where? Let's look at it. Put it over here, and let's look at it externally. And would you say that to your friend? Oh, you're this. Oh, you're that. No, of course not. Right. So, how can we reword that so we're kinder to ourselves? Um, and that's the that's still even I teach this stuff. That is still my biggest struggle is the negative self talk, right? Yeah, but uh, I feel a lot of it's got to do well. Quite quite often, it comes back to the limiting negative beliefs that people have about themselves. Yeah, those core beliefs, right? I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy. Yeah. Um, I'm undeserving. And so, yeah. so trying to get someone to uncover that then we can really do some work because when we we hear someone come in and we've done that core belief work a lot of times i'll go okay wait stop hold on for a second what's the core belief and they're like oh i know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right because it's it, it's an if then paradigm right yeah you know if i do this thing if i um fall back into my eating disorder then it must mean yeah. so so when we break it down to this if-then paradigm, re it's really easy to get to the core belief. And and clients, are, you know, typically are like, oh, it's there again. It's like, yep, and you have the skills. So, like, <laughs> but you're right. It's that 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 paradigm, that internal monologue that's going on. Yeah, that's been there probably for for many many years. Yeah, yeah. So I it's you know it's, it is it's uh becoming a tuning in and becoming aware of that is the first step really right of your pattern and then what how how you know we learn those core beliefs at a at, you know it's actually pre-verbal and so we typically learn them between you know two ages two yeah. and four and it's hard to uncover why that came up. For some people, it, it's developed later in life and they have a very clear pinpoint of this happened, right? Or this thing was traumatic and it happened and now I have this belief about myself. Um, for other people, that's not the case. And then when trauma happens, it it really grounds those core beliefs into a false sense of self. Yeah, absolutely. And then the person just starts to truly believe Right. whatever it may be about themselves right. I had I had a negative belief when I was growing up um that I was stupid and I I you know obviously started when I was younger than this but I remember when I was five and my older brother used to tell me that all the time and then I went to school and I remember being taken out of lessons for extra spelling and reading but I had to stand up in front of the class be taken out and I just remember how horrific that felt and then it was all started to build up and build up and then by the time I went to secondary school I didn't do very well I was in the bottom level everything because I was believing what yeah. that part of my mind was telling me that I was stupid because at home I'm still being told I'm stupid and then these little different experiences happened that helped to reinforce this core belief of mine that I was stupid yeah yeah and then how that shows up with you know with all of the traumas that you talk about right and yeah. and how that just keeps you know ingraining re you know re-solidifying that that belief yeah and then it just builds up and builds up and 
oh, well, I have to find one way to be able to deal with it all. Yeah. <laughs> it's the eating disorder. And then that was a marvellous way at the time, which was really not very healthy for me. Right, right. And for me, it was, you know, I had similar school experiences and, and, you know, um, I, I remember having to write spelling, you know, words, you know, a hundred times on the, on the chalkboard, you know, like, <laughs> right. Um, uh, the, the things we did to children then. Um, but I, I, yeah. And then for me, the eating disorder, one was acceptable. It was acceptable behavior in the profession that I chose. And so, um, there was a that was the best excuse ever right because yeah. it's acceptable behavior and um there, i don't have a problem like why 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 would you think i have a why, what are you talking about like i'm just, i'm just a ballerina <laughs> we that's that's just what we do you know and i mean it was it, it, it's like this ridiculous component of trying to fit in. Um, um, and so, you know, I, I, I'm sure my family was tracking it. In fact, we actually have never talked about it in, in all of these, all of these years, but I'm sure my family was tracking it. They started saying things much later in life to me. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I wasn't in treatment. I, I wasn't inpatient. I, you know, I, I, skated by I flew under the radar because I was dancing yes and yeah. so I was constantly passing right and so I hid I hid the disorder I hid the pain and the shame all of it because I just were, were you know that went back to this well I'm a ballerina like you know and it it was this you know sort of just color washing of of um everything you yeah. know, then I didn't have to deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Joelle, we're running out of time. I can chat for <laughs> hours. Me too. I know. I know. I hope this was helpful. I think it's just the tip of the iceberg of of how trauma, yes. you know, uh, affects eating eating disorder behavior. But I um I hope it was helpful. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and I think. You know, and I think that there's been some really helpful information, definitely, definitely. So, um, Joelle, so tell us um, how people can find you. Yeah, so um, we're on um, social media. Uh, we have a bunch of different information about our practice and, and um, the speaking engagements I've done. The, um, I have a, a TED uh, video. I, I did some work for TED. Um, so it's our so website. You did a TikTok. I did. I did a TED animated. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, on, when was that? Uh, it was a couple years ago on PTSD. And so all of that is um, on our website. So it's my name, uh, com. So J-O-E-L-L-E-R-A-B-O-W-M-A-L-E-T-I-S.com. And um, our handle for uh, Twitter, for Instagram is... Um, Joelle Rabo Melitis therapy and we are we put up content every day we promote great stuff like your show and your book oh thank and, you um and um you know send us an email um you can send us comments we always respond to everything and then we always have a free gift for your listeners so if they um 
send us an email and it's info at joelrabomolitas.com. Um, we'll send them a free downloadable uh, self a micro self-care guide gift. Oh. oh, that would be amazing, Joel. Yeah. Yeah. How and thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I know that, you know, the information that you provided last time and today is very relevant and and super useful, super helpful. Thanks. It's always a pleasure, Kate. Yeah. So thank you so much, Joelle. Thank you. Always a pleasure. So and all the links to your website and Instagram, Twitter and everything will be down below for anybody that's interested to go and have a look at that free gift yes thank you yeah that's all for today's episode of bulimia sucks so thank you to everybody for listening and before we go make sure you subscribe to the podcast on apple itunes so you never miss an episode and then let us know what you think of your favorite podcast and show us some support by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. So thank you for listening. And I look forward to chatting with you in the next episode. Bulimia sucks, but you don't. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calmness. Check it out now on Amazon.